Well, grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, this week for uh, District 38, uh, maybe 20, I'm not even quite sure, it's kind of the kickoff for spring break, right, uh, so for many of you. And so, uh, actually, I didn't expect to see like half of you here today. I uh, figured you'd be, uh, you know, looking for any excuse because, you know, part of spring break is this celebration of spring, right? I mean, it, we just go, man, this is awesome. And, and yet, when the snow hit again, right, uh, Friday uh, through the night, my reaction was, uh, and then of course the email comes through and it says, at first, two hour delay, and then a confirmation an hour later, two hour delay, and then another half hour later, school is canceled. And I went, uh, another day. This was the reaction for my eight-year-old boy who stood and knocked lightly at the door. Papa, open the door. Yes, do we have school? And I said, no, son, it's canceled. Yes! Okay, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. All right, all four appendages in the air. Yeah! I don't think literally, though, he was celebrating the snow as much as he was the cancellation. You know, we're told elsewhere in Scripture that creation is actually quite an incredible thing. I mean, we just look out, right? We look out our windows into just an incredibly beautiful area. When the snow comes down, the, the, the sky clears, and we get a little bit of a blue sky. It is majestic, isn't it? Snow-capped mountains, a little bit of greenery that is around, and now this week with the cross. I mean, how many of you, when you drove in this, this morning, you saw the biggest honkinest cross, right? Was that not God-pleasing? Amen. And, and there was probably a little bit of blue sky behind it and, and some, you know, snow-packed uh, mountains right behind it. Just a beautiful picture. Feel free to take that. Just make a donation for every picture that you make to the building fund. No, you don't have to do it. But you know what? We've got something to celebrate with creation. Creation is awesome. And this Palm Sunday, we tend to forget about creation's response to Palm Sunday. It's said elsewhere in Scripture that even if the people hadn't clamored, Hosanna in the highest, which means save us. If they hadn't said, blessed be the name of the Lord. If no people had actually met Jesus out on the road as he came into Jerusalem, that says that the rocks and the trees would have cried out. The rocks and the trees, I mean, you just take a look west and you go, man, that's a lot of creation that would have been an exaltation of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. I mean, think about it. If we were standing outside in the parking lot, all of a sudden the rocks and the trees just to the west of us stood up, right? Clamored, clapped their hands, yelled, shouted. I don't know what they'd sound like. I don't know what it would be like, but it would almost scare me because of the vastness of that creation. Creation celebrates. Creation follows. Creation is in exaltation. Creation gets that the master who spoke them into being is worthy of praise. And yet the most we can mutter after a late spring snowstorm or late winter snowstorm is, ah, snow again. 
I gotta do the sidewalk again? Or this morning, frost again? Creation gets it. Believers seemingly don't. What is it? What's going on? Why do we not get that this is an incredible event in the life of the church? That to celebrate Jesus' entry is, is in fact a celebration of his entry into our own lives. That he would come riding the donkey's colt if it meant you were there. If you had been the only one in Jerusalem, Jesus would have come. If you had been the only one wanting to celebrate the Passover feast, Jesus would have had the Last Supper, and he still would have gone to the cross. If you were the last person, he still would have died for you. And more importantly, he would have rose again. Most importantly, the grave would be empty Easter morning if you alone were the only person there. And I got to tell you, that is awesome, right, Terry? I, I agree with you. Thank you, God, because you know what? The hope of the resurrection is all that matters. Late last night, I got a call from Tracy Brett. Tim took his last two breaths and died last night. 46 years old. Eight years of battling cancer, the body of death, the fight is over. Our friend Tim is with the Lord, and the grave doesn't win, Amen. doesn't win. Okay, it hurts, it pains us, there are tears. We will mourn, we will have a service at some point this week during Holy Week, and we will celebrate Tim's life in Jesus Christ. And we will celebrate the fact that our Almighty God in Jesus Christ, who came to live and dwell here, has conquered death and the grave. And we will celebrate that fact because that is what gives us hope and life. That is what gives us purpose and peace. It absolutely must do that. And that's why Palm Sunday is such a great celebration. I want you to hear these words, because maybe when I read through them, you were just like, yeah, yeah, I kind of know the Palm Sunday story. I mean, Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, and everyone you know, shouts and waves palm branches in the air. Hosanna, which means save us, which you realize it's the only thing to yell out to God, right? Save me. My sin overwhelms me and overtakes me. I deal with it all day long, Right? My body is in a state of decay, whether by cancer or some other disease or simply because I simply breathe and I know that I'm one day closer to death each day that I live. And that is the world that we find ourselves in. But these people find reason to celebrate. Even the rocks and the trees would have called out. The next day, a great crowd gathered for the feast, heard that Jesus was on the way. I love it that when they hear Jesus is on the way, they get ready, they celebrate, and they prepare. Maybe that's how you feel on Sunday morning. I don't know. I know I do. It's like, wake up Sunday morning. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're going to get to sing. We're going to get to sing God's praise. I'm going to get to hear an awesome amount of people worshiping and praising and honoring God. Some with their hands raised. Some's going, man, I, I could try to raise my hand, but I can't keep beat. If I do it like hands, and then I can't sing, and then I'm, there are like people trying to, and I'd like to be able to do it all, but that's okay. 
I love it all. I love all of the worship. I love all of the praise. I love all of the energy when God's people gather together and they say, we're going to honor Jesus because Jesus shows up and he's there. They praise him with Hosanna, save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I want you to understand that coming in the name of the Lord is a great thing because when Moses spoke to the people and he said, who should I tell them is here and who is present and who has sent me? God the Father, Yahweh, says, I am has sent you. And I am means I am who I have always been. I am who I am currently. And I am who I will always be. Meaning there's no beginning and there is no end. And God is consistent today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And by that name, the very name of God who spoke things into being at creation, the very rocks and trees that would have cried out in Jesus, returned to Jerusalem that exaltation, that God who created them sends his son Jesus in his name. We hear from Philippians chapter 2 that it is by that name that every man shall be saved. It is by that name that every knee will bow. It is by that name, the name of Jesus Christ, that Tim Breck was ushered into paradise last night. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Verse 17, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Because isn't that what it's really remarkable? It's when the resurrection hits you. It's when you realize that the thing that has changed the course of history is that the grave doesn't win, that it's not the end, that a funeral service isn't the last time we see the body. But at the last day, when Jesus comes with a loud command and the trumpet sounding, and all the dead in Christ will be raised first, and we'll see him again. Revelation chapter 7 says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, shouting, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Palm Sunday is a foreshadowing. We get a glimpse that all the nations who were gathered for the Passover feast are lining the streets just like will happen when Jesus is seated on the throne and everyone from every tribe, nation, tongue, and voice will worship together by waving palm branches in the air, shouting, Hosanna. That's what we have to look forward to. That's what we're being called to. But here's my issue. My issue is this. We all know seemingly as believers in Jesus Christ where we're going. And for many of you, that's great hope. Many of you with the challenges, right? Health concerns. Marriage is possibly on the rocks. A job that is uncertain. You're not exactly uh, sure what will happen. How you'll be taken care of in your old age. How will the kids do? Will we be able to pay for this or pay off that? There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of questioning. But one thing you know, right? You know where you'll be for eternity. Amen? Amen. Okay, so good. We're, we're, We're good there. And maybe today you're here and you don't know exactly where you'll be for eternity. You might not know. 
This, this Christian thing, this Jesus thing that I'm talking about today, you go, yeah, I've, I've heard. I, I just, I don't know that I'm there yet. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But my guess is, is you need, <laughs> no, my guess is, is you want to be here today because you've heard of this Jesus who raises people from the dead. And we're going to hold there. Because with that hope, that hope of the resurrection, knowing that death doesn't win, what it should do is spur us on to be disciples of Jesus. And you say, I don't yet know it. I don't know enough about it. That's, fine. That's what we're going to do together. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. So we worship together because we say, hey, God alone deserves our honor and praise. But we also do life together so that we can be disciples of Jesus Christ. I want you to read this quote. Discipleship is the holistic care of a smaller group of people who are consistently experiencing Jesus' life and teaching together in a healthy environment where they are learning to submit every area of life to the leadership of Jesus. We're going to break this down a little bit. I want you to understand that to be a disciple says you are moving, right? So the Pharisees, to finish this Palm Sunday part of the story, the Pharisees go, look where this is getting us. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Well, they say it sarcastically. You see, we as believers in Jesus Christ go, can you imagine if the whole world went after him? I mean, if literally people would walk in the same footsteps as Jesus, if literally people walked by the grace of God and said, I'm following Jesus, and, and I'm trying to make every area of my life submitted to his will. I talk in a different way. I think differently. I spend money differently. I go to work differently. I come home earlier because I've got family and neighbors to love on. I, I even drive different. I roll the window down, and instead of giving that one-finger salute, I said, please, go right on ahead of me. And I actually mean it. There's a kindness in my heart that others have noticed. This is how compelling it is. When you submit your life to Jesus Christ, he changes everything. And that's what it means to be a disciple. You see, discipleship is the holistic care of a smaller group of people. You want to know what a small group of people look like? It's a good portion of Tim Breck's life group who spent four hours with him and Tracy yesterday before they left and he took his last two breaths with Tracy at his side, his wife. That's what discipleship looks like. It looks like a small group of people around Thanksgiving and Christmas, at one of our life groups who, who pooled money and resources together. They adopted families to be able to provide food for Thanksgiving meal and then the same exact family's presence and another meal for those families. It looks like when my parents moved in over the last two weeks that two of our neighbors brought food over knowing we would need calories <laughs> for the move. 
small group of believers discipling one another is even two people over a beer challenging one to simply trust Jesus. Friends, it is the only thing that has ever mattered in the life of people is to be discipled, to actively and intentionally. Now, many of you, you've gone to church for years and you go, well, I mean, the pastor, he's all right, I'll listen. He kind of shouts a little bit, I got to stay awake. I might glean something. And then you try to make it six days through the rest of the week based on maybe a little something that you picked up. But a disciple gets in with a smaller group of people. I have a small group of of gentlemen from Florida and from Colorado who email each other each and every day with a word of the day. It's a certain one of their responsibility. There's seven of them in that group. They pray for each other. They, They don't even live in the same area, but they do life together. They're discipling one another. They hold each other accountable. Consistently experience Jesus' life and teaching together in a healthy environment. You know what a healthy environment looks like? It's one that calls each other out on your junk. Yep. When you wear something inappropriate, your friend calls you and says, you know what, it might be fine for the world, but it's not fine for a believer in Jesus Christ. When your mouth says more than what it should, somebody in an accountability relationship comes up to you and says, "Uh uh-uh, you can't do that. That's healthy. Conflict amongst the body of Christ is healthy when it spurs one another on towards love and good deeds. An unhealthy, an unhealthy place is where selfishness reigns, where you make your own decisions and where you get um, this idea that I can do Christian living all by myself. That I don't need others. That's what an unhealthy group of people look like. People that come to church and say, well, I demand that it looks this way and sounds this way, and it better not offend me. See, that's a consumer, and that's unhealthy. Where they are learning to submit every area of life to the leadership of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to risk something right now. I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and tell them the area of life that you right now do not want submitted to Jesus. You can whisper it. What area do you not want submitted to Jesus? Because you're fighting, it's in a dark closet, you hide it away, you barely even admit to yourself it's an area that needs to be submitted to Jesus. You see, for most of you, it's difficult. I know it's hard for me. There's a challenge. There's a challenge always to admit to anybody at any time and in any place, man, I struggle in this area. Or this is an area, you know what, I wouldn't want Jesus to change. It's hard. But I'm telling you, if you have the guts to just now admit it, you're one step closer to becoming the disciple of Jesus Christ that he would have you be. And here's how I think we need to even change this word disciple. Next slide. It's moving from understanding that discipleship is about sin management versus apprenticeship. Let me explain this. 
I think a lot of Christians come to faith and they go, well, I want my life to be better so that I sin less. So let me study God's word and find out all the areas of sin in my life. And then that way I know what not to do. The only problem is, is if you focus on always what not to do, that's all you're ever focused on. How about we start living in the grace of God? I'm not saying ignore sin. Heck no. But our life is not about just sin management. Well, I sinned less than I used to a year ago. I'm really much more of a disciple now. Well, I curse less. Well, I don't look online at stuff I shouldn't look at as much anymore. What do you mean as much? <laughs> disciple of Jesus Christ is not about sin management. It is not about saying, how do I sin less? It's about being an apprentice. An apprentice gets to jump in and go, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to love and forgive. I'm going to call out sin in my own life as well as the lives of those around me. And I'm not going to be ashamed about it. I'm not going to be a jerk about it. I'm not going to stand on the street corner going, oh, you whoremongers and evildoers need to quit doing what y'all doing. I'm not doing that. I'm going to walk with a small group of people. And when they're struggling with sin in their life, and I'm going to recognize it, I'm going to, I'm going to go up to them and say, how's that working for you? And they're going to say, it's not. And I'm going to say, how do we walk along together until it gets changed? Because I love you and I care for you. And I actually want to see you live your life different. An apprentice is somebody that walks in Jesus' shoes. Somebody that takes on the skin of Jesus. So when others hear you, they hear the words of Jesus. When you reach out a loving hand, when you walk into their life, you're Jesus with skin on as you walk into their lives. Can you imagine how the disciples felt when Jesus sent them out in groups of two? They came back and they were like, man, the demons left in your name. We healed people. The grace of God was eminent and, and people received forgiveness of sins and it was awesome. That's what it means to be an apprentice. It means that you're sent after having gone after Jesus. And Christians, that is the only way for us to go. I, I don't care what your job title is or whether you're retired. I don't care if you're just plain exhausted and you say, ah, aren't I done? Haven't I already done my volunteerism? Haven't I already served people in the community? Gosh, when is God going to give me a break? Are you kidding me? No, he wants to raise you up. And as an apprentice, he wants to send you. Well, I might not be perfect. What if I say the wrong thing? Well, then experience God's grace over and over again. Be forgiven. Live forgiven. See how the whole world has gone after Jesus. Next slide. As an apprentice, though, you've been called to lead, to model, to train, and to develop the next people. And it doesn't matter if you're five years old, if you're 50, or you're 100. It doesn't matter. You've all been called to lead. Moms, can you imagine abdicating the responsibility of teaching your daughter what it means to submit wholly to an authority over you in a husband that is God-pleasing? If you don't teach that, we're going to have a generation of young women grow up and go, I hate this word submission. Well, who doesn't? Well, it's degrading. No, it's not. It's God-pleasing. When the man, husbands, can you imagine not teaching your sons what it means to die to yourself? 
as Christ died for the church. How many of you just love dying? Well, nobody does. And yet in both situations, moms, dads, this is what you've been called to lead. And if you haven't done it, get on it. Model. Living out a life in Jesus Christ, which means you show it, you model it, you make changes in your life. Visible, noticeable changes. And so when your friends are off doing other things, you say, I'm walking the other way, even though I'll probably be alone. You go the other way. This is what it means to be an apprentice, is that you model the behavior that is listed out in front of you, in front of you in God's holy word. And if you're not reading God's holy word, then you don't know what to model, I'll guarantee you. Train. Training implies that you are actively walking alongside someone with intentionality. You are actively walking by them and saying, let's train up together. Where you're at is fine, but Jesus wants more, and so we're going to push him more. And lastly, to develop. Some of you are our greatest volunteers, meaning you're always available, you're always around. Who are you training up next to take your spot when God pushes you to the next level of volunteerism? When God says, I've got a service project out in the community, you know what? You're not going to be serving at church anymore. You're going to serve out in the community. And people go, oh, I don't know. Who will fill in my slot? Well, develop the next person to fill in your slot. Because as Jesus continues to make you an apprentice and as he continues to raise the level of discipleship, he's going to push you. He's going to shake things up. Now, here's the challenge. And I want you to never forget, I never want you to lose track of why we do this thing called the body of Christ. You see, it's not about a building. It's not about a location. We are part of the body of Christ because we are all part of Jesus who is the head. And we are the parts. And we all have different skills and gifts and abilities. But we all serve the same Jesus for one purpose and one purpose only. That is to give his name, honor, and glory. And how do we do that? We do that by reaching the lost. So here, be careful. This next slide I want to show you. What have, we have a tendency to happen is that as we move along in time as a Christian, our number of non-Christian friends starts to diminish. Now, that may be a great thing. Well, heck, I've been Jesus with skin on. I converted all 150 of my closest friends. Awesome. I'll give you a high five. Go find 150 more. Never settle. What this woke me up about this week when I was reading through this in the devotional was reminding me that I cannot be complacent, that as much fun as it is to hang around Christians who get it, who are being apprenticed by Jesus, who are developing others, people that, that put all of these things that I've been talking and showing and preaching in Holy Scripture over these last nine years, they're putting it into practice, and man, I go, man, I want to hang around you, it's so fun. And i got to remember... My number one calling is to the lost. It's to the brokenhearted. And you may be a believer in Jesus Christ and choose not to worship regularly. It doesn't make you lost. It makes you disobedient. It makes you selfish. You're not lost. You're just trying to tell God what to do. See, the lost are those that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's a whole world full of people that don't know. 
And if God has to get the rocks and the trees to clamor out about his goodness because we won't, then get ready. Because the mountains are going to be shouting if we don't. My prayer is that you will walk alongside together in this body of Christ. That as you become an apprentice, that your life is changed radically. And that as that apprentice, you reach the lost. For God's honor and for God's glory. Amen. And now may this word of the Lord truly strengthen your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until his return to take us home. Amen.